Hey, group chat. I know y'all see my text. There's tea to be spilled. Each week, we're bringing you our unfiltered take on culture, news, dating, and our lives as Black millennial women. We're coming to y'all with the honesty and eye rolls that only a text chain with your girls can. This is Black Girls Texting with Chelsea, Glenn, and Shade. Glenn's in a in an airport lounge. It looks like a bar. Uh, Chelsea Pinky is in a unknown location, but she is not in her usual home. You don't see the beautiful artwork in the background. And I'm in my dusty ass house that's still under construction. So yeah, how's everybody doing? Good. I just walked. Like two miles, I swear, to get to this lounge because I'm in a completely different terminal. Oh, so I'm I'm breathing now, but I'm good. Well, I see you got a glass of wine. So you, yeah, I think you're doing. Our you're good. Yeah. On red or reply. Well, I will jump in with red or. I should have my period right now with my birth control situation and the 21 pills and the seven whatever the fuck. Sometimes it comes, sometimes it doesn't. But overall, right now, I imagine my hormones are raging because I am ready to beat the shit out of everyone. Okay? My fucking contractor. I don't know what the fuck is going on. This nigga. Somebody's going to have to come over tomorrow because my family friend who recommended him to me said, well, tomorrow you'll either be in town and country or Rikers. And I said, period. Uh Uh-uh, shut up. Because I'm about to black on this nigga. I come home, the grout in my shower looks fucking crazy. Like the color is wrong? And I'm like, this can't, he can't be done. Like, this isn't finished. Like, this is not a finished job. Like, no one would look at this and say, I'm done. So I'm going to have to have a very long conversation with him um, because I have a a nice chunk of his money that he will not fucking get if my grout does not look normal. It looks fucking crazy. Not nearly. Wait, is the color wrong? It's the wrong color. It looks like he used something called cork, which is not even sandish. It's like a thicker... It's wrong. It's wrong. It's wrong. It's wrong. And I was over here trying to support the black man because the Italian man was trying to come up and undercut him. And he was actually going to charge me less. But I said, you know what? Let me go with this nice Jamaican old man. He's kind. He's on time. And this is how he do me with this grout. Should have stuck with Vinny in that. So wait, he's not not Vinny. It's he going to have to do it all over? I do not know. I was just on the phone with my family friend who recommended him to me. And I said, do you have me fucked up, sir? Obviously in kinder terms than that. But um, he was like, no, no, no. Anything can be fixed, Sade. Don't worry. Don't worry. I was like, it better be. It better be. It better fucking be. Okay, sorry, y'all. I'm heated. I'm heated. I just came home. 
and I'm like, <laughs> Barry. I was thinking the same thing. I can't help myself. Yeah. Barry. Um, reply. Reply. I will reply to spending time with my cousins. I was just in Miami for a hot sec. Um, I did not really basle. I like dabbled, but not really my scene. But it was really nice to see my cousin. my little cousin. If you guys have been listening, um, lives in Paris. So it's not that often that she's in the States. So I got to see her, spend time with her, bond, definitely treat her like a baby, but she's a grown ass woman. And it was really nice to like have talks and her to ask me for advice. And then my older cousin, just check in with her and all the stuff going on in her life. She's trying to progress in the family space, which is super exciting. And I'm like smack dab in the middle of the two of them. So it's really interesting. Um, to kind of see where they both are in their kind of life stages. So that's so sweet. Yeah, it was nice. We literally were like, let's go home and snuggle and watch Netflix. And like it was so fun. <laughs> it oh, that's was so, so fun. cute. Um, Meanwhile, I was like on shroom gummies at like a party. Right. <laughs> Calling me, talking about what are you doing? I said, you're not coming over here. <laughs> But yes, do you want to go, Glenn? Yeah, I mean, it's so loud on that. So I'll be super quick. I'm going to reply to this all my travels. I've been away for like two and a half weeks. Mexico City first. My trip to Miami for Art Basel. I went from a long weekend to like six days. I'm finally going home. I'm very excited to get home. The trip was fabulous. but just some amazing things. I feel like I should talk about it more. We have better service and better connection and things. But like crazy stuff. Me and my friend went to this W Magazine party. We were with Lori Harvey and like Jared Leto and Diplo and just like mad and bad fly people in front of my face. Like at a bougie ass house on the bay or like, I guess it's the bay, right? In Miami, where like they gave us an option of either bringing our boat or coming by car. It was like period. One day we will come by boat. That's goals. A lot of it was like very inspiring, very bold making. Um, uh, leaving on red, just you know, I'm I need to remain present, but I'm already anticipating just getting back into my routine. Is already stressing me out. Like my suitcase is mad big. I have hella shit that I'm gonna need to unpack. As soon as I get back, I have events. I have birthday parties. I have fucking friends' Christmas giving thing. Like just hella things to do. I have to cook dinner for a person's um, potluck this weekend. My birthday's next weekend. It's just more and more to do. So I'm stressed. But I'm in the good spirits. Unpack that suitcases because I'll be coming over and I'll be like, go ahead. Um, weren't you on a trip a month and a half ago? And she'll be like, um, yeah. Uh, just do it. Yeah, I'll unpack. Do it. Um, Glenn is in a lounge reminder. That's why there's so much noise behind her. Yes. Um, I will reply to a surprise birthday party that I threw. Um, it was kind of last minute, but it ended up working out really well. And the surprise worked. Um, I learned how to make potato salad, my mom's recipe. So that's major. Gonna be, yeah. I'm going to be making that going forward. So now I know how to make macaroni pie, potato salad. I have to learn a few more things so my kids don't totally lose their culture. Um, 
What else? I will also, I won't leave anything on red. I'll also reply to, oh, actually, also replying to White Lotus. We can talk more about that later. But I'm leaving on red. Um, when you leave your hometown and you come back to your hometown and you don't take a day off from work and it's like very hard to like actually meet up with everyone. So my other friend was telling me that whenever she goes home, she says, Hey, I'm going to be at Soho House Saturday night. If you're free, I'll be here. Come meet me for a drink. And like whoever comes, comes. So maybe I'll do that next time. But yeah. I hear you, girl. That is the struggle. And I've heard many people do that. And I think obviously like your friends who you may have more intimate relationships with, you try to find the time. But like, I feel like when you leave, like everybody wants to see you. And it's like, Girl, we I didn't even see you like this when I was home, but sure, like let's go kick it at the bar. <laughs> and everyone just come to that one bar. Yes. I I did find a new restaurant though, if you guys are in the mood for a new restaurant, a place called Holiday Bar. It was very good. It's across the street from Bar Pity, which I think I went there with you guys before. But yes. um it's a new hot spot. So if you're looking for a new spot, it was very cute. We love a hot spot. Cute, cute, cute. Yeah. Um, I probably shouldn't go out to eat. I know you and I have plans, but after that, only person I can go out with is my nigga because I don't get up for funny. <laughs> yeah. Um, shall we jump to our hotline bling? I don't know if anyone's hotline bling it. No, necessarily. I mean, mine is but on Patreon. So, oh, spicy! Mine is about White Lotus. I guess that's a little bit of. I'm really behind. Oh yikes! Would hate to be you. (laughs) (laughs) I'm avoiding all social media. Mm, You should. Next week is the finale. I'm so behind on mad shows, mad shows, so many shows. I have so much to look forward to when I get home. Yeah, at least you can, at least you don't have to wait Finish. week over week. Yeah. Um, wait, where are you going next? You're going, you're coming back to New York? Back to New York for a little while. Then I go to DC for Christmas, then Cuba, then oh. more, more, more and more and fucking more. The girl, the girl is going for her medallion status, ladies and gentlemen. She said, I'm getting upgraded. Well, you should come with us on uh, Thursday if you want. Oh, even though it's mainly meat, but there should be something on the menu for you. <laughs> oh, this dinner plans that I wasn't invited to. Girl, Honestly, I can't catch up. I don't know where you are. Yeah, we. I wasn't sure like when <laughs> you were coming back. We were just like, we should make up before you leave, and <laughs> all these spaces. <laughs> <laughs> I'll check Ashaval's <laughs> menu. Yeah, mm. but you know, it's a meaty yeah. place. And then Shade already dinner. cut me out of her Joe Stone Crab reservation, so I see how things go. Wait, okay. is that in New York? <laughs> no, it's in Miami. We should also talk about that on the Patreon. Let's let's keep this moving. Um <laughs> do we have a black girl doing shit, ladies? My good sis, that's a black girl doing shit. 
we don't have a black girl doing shit, but we have an amazing black person that you're going to hear from on this episode. Their name is Willie the Genius. They are an incredible artist, um, community activist, lover of black people, and just a servant of their community. Um, Chelsea and I had the honor to have an interview with them, and it was really moving, really touching, really honest. I do want to give listeners a trigger warning um, if you have any experience with drug use or any family members that may have been addicted and may be triggering for you in some ways. Um, but I do think that this is a really important and illuminating conversation and we look forward to you listening to it. I love that. I'm sad I missed the episode, but I'm really excited to listen. So I'll be with the listeners tomorrow tuning in. And now a word from our sponsors. Chances are you aren't sharing an epic dinner with your friends right now, but you could be. Just book a seat at a private dining event with your Chase Sapphire Reserve card. Then get to it. A multi-course menu, insane flavors, a wine pairing. Ooh, is that crispy duck? Experience more unforgettable dinners with private dining events from Sapphire Reserve. Chase, make more of what's yours. Learn more at chase.com slash Sapphire Reserve. Cards issued by J.P. Morgan Chase Bank and a member of FDIC. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. We are officially in the holiday season, y'all. It's truly my favorite time of the year. My family always finds ways to spend time with one another during this special season. And whether we're having a game night, which, by the way, I just learned how to play spades, so I will be officially ready this year, or exchanging gifts, or, of course, sharing a meal around the dining table, which is my favorite part, Coca-Cola pairs perfectly with every holiday get-together. So enjoy the real magic of the season by surrounding yourself with good friends and family, delicious food, and of course, an ice-cold Coca-Cola. You thought today was another routine? You thought today was a walk in the park? Congrats, you played yourself. I'm Alex Toussaint, and today we're drinking Swat Water Alkaline. With 9 plus pH and added electrolytes, it's hydration for your determination. That means no excuses. I don't want to see you just work out. Get out there and outwork. Let's get it, baby. Smart Water Alkaline. Today's episode is sponsored by Sunchips Art Scene. Sunchips believes in the power of diverse voices, but many women and people of color aren't always seen in the art industry. Help Sunchips shine a light on underrepresented artists and champion diversity in the art scene by heading to sunchipsartscene.com now to view the Sunchips Art Scene art collection on show in Miami Beach and vote for your favorite artists. The top three artists that receive the most votes will be commissioned by Sunchips to create artwork that will appear on more than 20 million Sunchips bags and across Sunchips advertising in 2023. And when you vote, you'll have a chance to win too. Consumers can vote once per day for the chance to win Sunchips snacks for one whole year. There will be one winner each day from now until December 18th, 2022. So go to sunchipsartscene.com today. That's sunchipsartscene.com. All right, y'all. It's time for the group chat. This week in the group chat, we have Willie Dean, 
professionally known as Willie the Genius. Willie is an entertainer, producer, and community resource activist from Chocolate Bayou, Houston, Texas, currently <laughs> residing in Bed-Stuy. Shout out to Stuy. Their work has been called both radical and revolutionary and aims to challenge social norms, dismantle the current social system to create space for a new, all-inclusive, equitable society through music, film, and all other mediums of art. A graduate of Sam Houston State University with a BA in Mass Communications and the Dan Rather School of Communications. The Genius has managed marketing campaigns for brands such as Red Bull, North America, PepsiCo, and Heineken. Willie is a 2021-2022 artist in residence at the People's Theater Project, where they are currently writing, producing, and starring in their solo theater and late-night talk show, Willie Gets Naked, and planning an off-Broadway debut fall 2022, as well as in pre-production of their one-hour scripted comedy drama series will of fortune welcome Ooh. to the group chat willie thank you I, you are busy yes i need to drop in there too i was homecoming king at sam used to say university too i might need to throw that in i like that I'm yes right. <laughs> <laughs> you know she's that girl you know <laughs> i want to hop in with your name where does the genius part come from and how long mm. is the genius Okay, so I kind of have two answers for that. So what you want that? Since we're in the group chat, do you want the real, real or like... Real, real. Always the real, real. Oh, would you like the polished version? <laughs> I'm going to get both of them real quick. Okay. So the polished version is just, you know, as a queer, a Black queer, Black trans identifying person, the world has kind of forced me to be a genius, right? Um, it's It's made me have to unpack a lot of things in order to be able to survive. And with those, I've had to do a very deep dive into some, I guess we would call them kind of mundane issues in order to be able to find out where I fit in all of this. Um, and also to see like, yeah, kind of like how Willie shows up in this world and why I am in this world. And um, I found my own genius. And so in that, I try to help other people find their genius as well, because uh, I forget who it was who said it, but you know, if you judge a fish on its ability to climb a tree, it will go its whole life believing that it is dumb or inadequate mm -hmm. and so you know for us like we're all there are 7.4 or there are 8 billion people on the planet now so there are 8 billillion geniuses we are just all kind of operating out of the wrong paradigm mm -hmm. so but the other answer is because <laughs> <laughs> from houston texas right um and I, I as being an entertainer i've released all type of music including hip-hop and um there's a well-known rapper from Houston, Willie D of the Ghetto Boys fame. And so I couldn't be Willie Dean. Mm. You know, like that's too close. Willie D from Houston and then Willie Dean from yeah. Houston. And yeah, so caused some confusion. You know, and then so also like Dean to me, I think of like Dean of a college, um, you know, keeper of knowledge and information. So Willie the Genius just, just was a nice little segue into that, you know. I love it. Yeah. I yeah. love it. Let's talk more about Willie Gets Naked. What's the show about? Ooh. And okay. what a title. Yes. Because um, so <laughs> does that. Willie get naked? Right. That is always the question. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> asks me that. And the answer is yes. It's yes. Right. <laughs> but I get, you know, literally naked. I take off my clothes at the end of the show. Um, as someone who has dealt with body dysmorphia, uh, growing up in the South, specifically growing up in Houston, Texas, 
uh, um, which was voted one of the fattest cities in the world at one point. Um, mm-hmm. I came from a very large family, meaning like everybody was fat uh, and lovingly fat too, right? Um, we had a catering business. So food was a part of our love language. You know, so-and-so got out of you know jail, let's cook. So-and-so graduated from college, we're going to cook. And so um, body dysmorphia, that seeing my body in that way, but then also against the industry, I struggled a lot just with the way I saw myself. And so, um, so it was important for me to love on that, but I kind of jumped to the end. So I want to go to the beginning of what really brought all of this about. So um, I moved to New York 12 years ago. I moved here. I won't even, you know, say the person's name, but I moved here with one of Beyonce's artists from Houston. Right. Mm. Um, At the time she was signed to music world, uh, Matthew Knowles. Um, and I, at the time was working in fashion. And so I was like, Oh, well, I'm Let's go to New York. I know I can get my career going there. You know, at this time too, I had already had two fashion collections. Uh, my university, Sam Houston paid for my first collections. They actually sent me to New York too, for fashion week, a couple of times where I met Andre Talley. Um, Mm -hmm. but yeah, so now we, we moved to New York. Um, and within the first year, that was what, September, 2010, and we got here and it got real, real, real fast, right? We're paying these New York rents that ain't the same as Houston. Mm. Money start to get a little thin. And um, the roommate, you know, she kind of came from, I won't say she came from money, but she had a fallback plan in Houston. I did not. I had to make it work. And mm. so, um, like I said, our money started getting thin. We were looking at possible eviction, um, she had gone back home to Houston and within, when, when was it? April 1st. I'll never forget it. One of my other friends had come and visited. And like I said, I, at the time I'm so broke y'all, I'm sleeping on the, uh, on, on a blow up mattress on the floor. Like, I mean, we are struggling, you know? Um, and one day he was just like, Hey, let's go get tested. Let's just go get tested for HIV. And we go get tested. And the woman walks in the room and she tells me, she's like, you're HIV positive. Just as a matter of fact, as we are sitting here, she's like, yeah, so you're positive and here you go. And this, you know, your next steps. And I remember walking out of that room and being like, first of all, I wasn't prepared for that. I didn't go get tested because I was sick. I went and right. got tested because a friend was like, let's just go get tested. Like it was just on some, oh yeah, we, we're good members of the community. Let's go just do this, you know, keep our upkeep up, you know, our self upkeep, whatever. Yeah. And I find out that I'm HIV positive. And I walked home, I remember, because this was at um, Brooklyn Hospital. And I walked and we were living in bed So I walked all the way to bed And I remember my first thought being like, oh, shit, first of all, I might die, right? Like, because that's, you don't know about, many of us have not done the deep work in understanding HIV until you're mm-hmm. confronted with it. Then you're like, oh, maybe I should know about this. Um, disease or disinfection, you know? Um, And so my second thought though was, even if I do live, who's going to love me now? Mm. I'm already fat, black, queer, gay at the time, you know, like I'm already, you know, three strikes and you're out. Who was going to love someone who's broken is in my mind's eye, you know? Um, And Needless to say, you know, I I, I got, I found a come to Jesus moment, you know, I, I began to process it, but within the first two or the next two years, I found myself in a, in an addiction to crystal meth. And, you know, 
I remember like I'm I'm online on this website because we, you know, LGBTQ folk, we've been dating online since honestly, since I was 18. I met my first boyfriend or my second boyfriend online. So it's been in the queer community for years before it ever, you know, before there was ever a a bumble, a hinge. Hell, even an old stupid before that shit was even around. You know (laughs) what I mean? Um, And so this guy hit me up and he was like, oh, do you party? And there was a, the T was capitalized in party. And I'm like, I mean, I saw it, but I, it didn't register. I'm like, oh yeah, I party. You know, I've done coke here or there. Like I've played around. And he's like, no, like this is something different. And so I was like, you know, and I was at such a low point. I was like, you know what? I'll try it. And he brings over this, it almost looked like a bong, but with like a little rounded, globe in it where you load drugs into it and that's where you insert the crystal meth and he lit it up for me i hit it and next thing i know it's about seven hours that passed and we are having sex and smoking this drug and you know i don't know because like i said i had done uh, hard drugs at that point you know i was on a marketing tour with um camel cigarettes um they paid really well, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. And the whole team woke up one day and we all did cocaine and we were in Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like, I was like, oh yeah, I can try this. It ain't going to take. Next thing I know, y'all, I am in uh, an addiction for seven years. Did you, wow. did you know, seven did you years. know what crystal meth was at all before you tried it? Not really. I want to say this was around the time that uh, Breaking Bad was a mm-hmm. thing. Um but I don't even know if it was popular enough to where I, I don't think I had even really seen it yet. You know, um, I remember when I became an addict, my sister began watching it a lot because she wanted mm, to kind of understand, kind of understand, you know, um, excuse me. And the thing is, you know, unbeknownst to me, crystal meth was ravaging or it, it still is, but at the time was ravaging the black queer community in bad style. And what? so I did not know that. I've heard some stories like this. Yeah. You will be surprised. Like, and I don't want to give too much, uh, not too much away, but like, I don't want to put other people in harm's way. Yeah. Um. But even going on uh, Tompkins Avenue, you know, Black Girl Magic Road. Days, <laughs> you know, uh, what is it? Building Black Bed Stuy. Um, <laughs> right on Jefferson. And I won't say which way, but on Jefferson, between Mar- oh well, shit, yeah, I just I wasn't so gonna- don't be giving cross tree yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> in the area right anyway right around the corner on Jefferson right is where I used to pick up and so for a long time it was very hard for me to even walk over there because mm. like I would be triggered and the thing is I'll see other people walking right over there now and like oh, no. I know what they're doing and I know what's happening and to be clear too a lot of times people think because we've seen uh new jack city and we think that all drug users look like that right i was gonna say i was gonna say like when i think crystal meth i think not at all how you look like white people in a trailer but like no teeth yeah skins peeling off i lost one tooth to it you know really (laughs) oh so it does it does damage teeth okay so that's kind of the real thing and it kind of well one if you're smoking it it's uh the vapors 
because it's it's all kind of shit in that drug. It's it's you know battery acid. It's oh. it's you know um, what is it like? Um, Nyquil is in it. Like it's so much in it. It's really horrible. But also, uh, it's an upper. I t- often tell people it has the upper of uh, cocaine and the hallucinogenic effect of like tripping on acid. Wow. Mm. And kind of because and 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 that's debatable. Some people, some you know, places you research, they say it's not hallucinogenic. But the thing is, if you've been up for three days, which is would be a typical run for me. Like imagine being you know, up, and I'm not exaggerating. I'm talking about three days of no sleep. Wow. Like up, like like this, literally eyes bug eyed, like um, to a point where you just. For me, I would have to sometimes go to the hospital for them to bring me down. I'd be mm. so. Do you still, and obviously anything I ask, if you don't feel like answering, I don't care. We but do, good. <laughs> do you feel any way towards that person that introduced you to it? No, 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 no. Um, I, I really don't. And the reason is because he, he actually, believe it or not, I feel like was responsible as much as he could be okay he told me what to expect you know what I mean like he let me know like there was no deceit there now I how am I to know that this is going to take me into a seven-year addiction that's the individual you know and I'm not trying to say oh yeah it's the person like they got to know themselves no one knows how drugs are going to affect you because here we go. And I'm a segue. Now I'm going to use this to kind of tie back into Willie Gets Naked. Um, I realized that drug addiction almost took my life, but it also saved my life. I'm probably going to mm. cry. I feel it. I, I can feel it. It's going gonna, it's gonna to come. Okay. Um, it saved my life because it, it, you know, it showed me all these things that I was dealing with that I was unable to talk about out loud. You know, like all of this trauma that was unresolved the addiction brought it to the forefront, mm. right? So it wasn't, it wasn't, how can I say it? It wasn't only the drugs? No, like drugs are a symptom, right? Right. They're not the problem. And so it's interesting because in my family, it also showed everyone else's issues start to come to the forefront, right? Because people just want you to stop. They just, please just stop using the drug instead of realizing that we're all complicit in each other's well-being, right? And so, for instance, um, oh, I probably shouldn't even say, I'm, fuck it, I'm saying it. Um, My sister, who was one of my best friends, uh, and we haven't spoken since I've been sober, um, she wasn't able to get honest with herself, or I I don't even know if I should say it in that way. It was hard. It is hard for her to say, to see the harm she could have possibly caused me. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? That contributed to the drug addiction. Mm -hmm. And it's, and she's not the only one. I hear it a lot of times uh, because once again, now this is in my theater show. So I talk about this all the time. This is also in my television show. So we're literally having these conversations over and over again. And a lot of times people will say to me, Oh, I'm so glad I'm talking to you now because my, you know, my father, who was a crackhead for years, you know, I know use that language, you know, or a, a crack addict for years. Um, he, you know, is he, he, he won't stop using and and um, trying to because this was a very specific thing. I'm trying to yeah. blast right. Um, 
but they'll say, yeah, my, my parent used, right? Um, and I'll say, okay, I can hear in them the pain and the hurt, but I'm like, who in this moment is kind of holding this person and saying, where's your trauma? And like, let's begin to unpack the trauma that this person kind of experience because that's why that's how we get to being an addict right i don't care whether it's food whether it's sex whether it's um holding to people's uh problems a little bit too much those are all a part of those can be addictions anything we're using to cope with the trauma and so it can show up in it, many different ways mine showed up as crystal meth you get what i'm saying yeah i have a question about that sure it's, oddly i was researching this recently um, about when people have family members who are addicts, how do they grapple with whether or not to feel like sympathy or empathy for the, that person? And I'm I'm inclined to think that sympathy and empathy are like not maybe not even sympathy, empathy and care mm-hmm. and understanding are really critical in those situations. But then there's also, I guess, this situation. The, the, what will happen is a family member will feel like, I guess, fed up at a certain point. Like I've been trying and trying and trying. There's no saving you. I've yeah. had enough. I yeah. turn, I'm turning you away. Don't contact me. Um, yeah. And and then there's this like, well, it's their fault. Like they need to get clean. Mm-hmm. Like they're, they're in their own way. Um, but it's a sickness, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's so, and that's so interesting, right? Because I even, uh, with the fact of us calling it a sickness, you know, like, or, or, or um, it is a dis-ease, right? Like the spirit is not at ease, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's why I try to get to the point of saying that we're all complicit, right? A lot of us have an issue with interrogating ourselves and seeing how we show up and, and participate in these systems of harm, you know? And so the thing is, no one becomes an addict in a vacuum, and so this particular person who was like, well, my, you know, parent is, you know, is a drug addict. Um, and when I was like, well, they more than likely have childhood trauma that's unresolved. And as a black man, the world does not give that person permission. Oh, and especially a black woman. Don't nobody want to hear about your shit. If you black and queer, forget about it. You know what I mean? Like no one wants to hear that. It's like, get back to work. Keep making us rich. Or, you know, uh, you ain't got the, you, you don't have time to do that. You, you, your kids are hungry, you know? And that's the rhetoric we, we kind of stick with. So even someone helping, it's not really the help that this person needs. It's them wanting the person to do what they need them to do so that they could get back to X, Y, Z. You get what I'm saying? Um, I was fortunate enough, and I, I should mm-hmm. keep it on myself for a moment. Uh, and that's one thing they say in addiction is keep it on you because my experience is very unique mm-hmm. in that um, because I was HIV po- or because I am HIV positive, there's a program in New York that will pay up to $1,600 of, of your rent, right? Call HASA. I'm spilling all my tea. I don't care. Right? I don't mind. No, and so, thanks for sharing the it's program. It's a great resource. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously, and Hassa, it, it's it's been a lifesaver. Um, and they and they started that I think in the eighties or nineties because they realized a lot of people were using um, sex work in order mm. to house themselves, and then that was you know transmitting the virus even more, right? Um, and so, where was I going with that? Um, ah, so I'm fortunate enough to not have to worry about my bills being paid and my my housing, so. I told myself, you know, that, for instance, there were many moments of me trying to stop using, like trying to get mm. so many moments. And I knew that if I did not go to the bottom and clean out all of that junk that was in there, all of 
all of that spiritual gook that I was going to keep coming back to this well to drink, to heal myself, right? To heal myself. I'd keep coming and using this because you hear a lot of people talk about um, relapsing. Oh, I hope you don't relapse. Oh, don't relapse. The thing is, if you get to the bottom of that trauma and you get it out, you're able to stop wanting to use this thing. And so for me, towards the end of the addiction, I would literally lie in bed and then I would get high. And li- and at this point too, mind you too, I'm injecting the drug, right? Like I'm no longer smoking. I had um, advanced to injecting. Now, the odd thing is the person who kind of turned me on, excuse me, to injecting it was a friend of mine. And that person, I kind of hold a little bit mm. of resentment to because I'm thinking to myself, it's one thing to use this drug, but like that injecting it was such a another level of addiction. It, does I, it feel different? It's way more intense and it's quicker. It's in your veins. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's it's immediately smoking. It's kind of a gradual, you know, think about it, like if you ever smoke weed, you know, you hit it, you might hit that blunt three times and then you're like, oh shit, now I'm on the moon. You know, like right. it's a gradual kind of up with injecting, it's instantaneous, you know? And my thing is, I felt like he had a responsibility. He knew how intense that was. And for him not to kind of guide me a little better in that, I I, I have some issues about him, right? Um mm-hmm. But that's another thing. Um, But like I said, so I'm like laying in the bed. I inject the drug. And so back up a little bit. At first, every time I would get high, I needed to feel the liberation of feeling attractive and feeling attracted and desired. Mm -hmm. So it was all about sex, which you'll find that most people who do crystal meth, they are in orgies for days. Mm -hmm. And I mean, literally, they could be two, three day orgies in their home. Like I've had them, you know, um, and so now at this point, though, where I'm at the end of the addiction, I'm no longer needing because I began to heal that because I'd given myself permission to get everything that I came to the drug to get. Because I was like, either worst case scenario, you die in this and then you you're dead, <laughs> you know, and then you go on to the next, whatever that is. Or best case scenario is you start to figure some things out and then you can start to help people in your community, you know, to not have to do this in the same way. And so... Um, yeah, so I'm laying, I'm injected, laying in the bed and I close my eye and I be my eyes and I begin to search my kind of aura for any energetic blockages. And I'd be like, oh shit, like that's when I was called fat when I was in high school or middle school, you know, and I would see Willie, like that version of me. And I literally would feel the, the energetic blockage, like in my body, you know, and then I'd start to, in my mind's eye, kind of like unpack it like rub it out like massage it with my mind and like and ask like Willie what do you need for that to disappear to go away to be healed and then I would start to just hug I saw this version of Willie hugging that little version of Willie and just making peace with that version of Willie it's and I and now I I hear people say oh that's you know you know inner child work it's they'll call it all these things and I knew personally that my ancestors were guiding me into that. I could feel it almost like they had their hands on me, like, come here. Let me show you where this work needs to be done. And, you know, over time, I saw those images come into one. I no longer saw Little Willie and Big Willie. I saw them really come in together. And then 
almost, and it's going to sound weird for a moment if it hasn't already, <laughs> almost start to have a conversation with one another like, hey, how do you feel about being fat? And then I'd realize that I personally, Willie does not care or does not find it to be bad in being fat, right? But the world was telling Willie how, oh, you fat. You can feel the energy behind how you should feel about that. Oh, you gay? First of all, what is gay, right? As a kid, you're like, wait, what is that? Oh, I I mean, I like my hand a little, but that means I like penis? Like, (laughs) wait, you know, and and, and it begins to inform you and tell you these things about yourself, right? Um, Even as, come on, as Black women, like, people tell you who you are, right? The world tells you who you are before you even get to to make up these, um, or to even come into your own. And so that is where Willie Gets Naked was born. Um, the theater show, I was like, you know, I'm going to get on stage. I'm going to show the world the first moment of me contracting HIV. I'm going to show the world the first time that I tried crystal meth. You know, I was like, you know what? I'm going to sing. I'm going to do all of the things that I could not do in the addiction. I have songs, poetry, and I put it all into a cabaret show. And I was like, what else do I know? I was like, you know, I've always wanted to do drag and was too afraid to do it because of the world. So I put on a wig in the show and I gave you a beautiful drag performance, right? And then I was like, but what else? What else am I afraid of? Like, let me put it all up there on stage. And I was like, you know, I'm going to get completely naked at the end. Mm. That's where Willie Gets Naked was born from. I was like, let me tell people exactly what it is, you know? Twice in the show, too, I, I don't know if I mentioned, we break the fourth wall and we have a conversation. Me or Willie, the character on stage, and the audience. We call out problematic things. And then later on the sh- on in the show, we call them in as a community together, you know, because I want people to know I don't have all the answers, even in my genius. Like my genius, you know, my degree is in mass communication. Right. Also, I'm a Virgo ruled by Mercury, the communicator. Like I know how to access this information, but I don't have all of it. Right. But together, we have a collective genius that I'm like, okay, bring in some of your experience. I can have a little bit of mine, yours, 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 everyone. Let's all sit down here together and we can start to to build systems that are equitable and that work for all of us. You know, collective genius. I love that. Wow, Willie. Thank you for sharing all of that. Thank you. I'm over here. You got the the rag. I'm over here on the verge of tears. Um, but also like joyful tears that like you made it out of that and you know are able to like do something that you love and like put out this art that I would love to support and see when when is the show by the way is it ongoing okay so yes it is ongoing yes and um (laughs) Uh, because I always, I love late night talk, late night television. Um, I reverse engineered the theater show into a 13 episode late night talk show. And so the final episode is a staging the theater show. So you're watching us. Each episode is literally me. Con- Imagine, I, I often tell people this, Arsenio Hall meets In Living Color meets RuPaul's Drag Race, right? <laughs> That's what the vibe genius. is. That is genius. <laughs> 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 but yeah, so it's 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 me coming out. I do an opening monologue. I have dancers. They call them damn dancers, just like my fly girls, you know. Yes. Um, they, they eat. I got a DJ. Like it's a whole thing. And then you'll you see us intercut with interviews. Like I interviewed Alika Samuel, who is one of our um 
um, well, she was a city councilwoman for this side of Bed-Stuy, East New York, Brownsville. Um, oddly enough, she literally just texted me a moment ago when we started this. So I love the synchronicity of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you watch us build some of the theater shows. So like each episode, you're watching this, this go down. And so I talk about everything. The next so we filmed the pilot already. Um, we're shopping that out right now to a premium cable network. So um, as soon as we know the home Please. for that, you know, y'all will know. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I'll send y'all the trailer for it. And, and you'll come back. Uh, you said what now? And come back when it's oh. like out. And Oh, honey. Absolutely. Yeah. Y'all got me. I'm, I'm, yeah. On, I'm on the text thread. Okay? <laughs> yes. I obviously this episode is all about you. But I just want to be transparent with the listeners that I definitely started tearing up because I have never in my own lived experience, I don't know if you have Glenn, but I've never spoken to someone who was addicted to something and made it out of that. Um, To be transparent, my father was an addict. He died. But like, I, you know, he was an addict. So to speak to someone who made it out, I'm like, what? Uh, I don't know what your spirituality beliefs are, but that's such a blessing. And I'm so happy that you were able to get out of that. And yeah, I'm just so happy for you. I'm sorry. It's okay. No, don't you be sorry. Don't you be sorry because <laughs> let them emotions flow. I'm sure your father is showing up here right now. Like, um, and thank you for those emotions. Thank you for that. Seriously. Oh, thank you, truly, Chelsea. That honesty is super beautiful. And I think it's just a testament to just the power of, of your story, Willie. And really, we're yeah. so grateful. I'm thank so you. happy for you. But yeah. thank you for sharing that, seriously, because um, in this, sometimes I can forget that this, it's not about me. You know, you were like, this is all about me. It ain't. It ain't. Like, the only reason I know that the reason that I am here right now is because I, I do have this story. Right. And like, I know that the ancestors are working with me and through me to tell these stories. So that way we don't have to have another instance like your father. Right. Mm-hmm. Or like, or hell me. Or the reality is I know y'all don't even have to say it right now, but I know that y'all have trauma that, or or have had trauma have experienced some things that have traumatized you that you have never had space to talk about we do not live in a world that allows for that um and so thank you for that and that's why i'm like seriously those how much do we begin to kind of fuck up the matrix when we have these real moments of like releasing that you know and i'm glad you shared that because sometimes i can feel like i'm by myself in this right like, I mean, I know that there are other people who have survived uh, addiction and um, they go to their, tw- you know, 12-step meetings. Those meetings for me are are incredibly horrible. <laughs> they are, they feel like church, like not, not in the good way, not like a black church. They feel like restrictive, uh, Protestant, um, pray at the, you know, the, the, the altar of almighty white man. Like that's how they are. That's how they feel. And so for me, um, I'm going to use this to mention, um, there's there's an organization or page even on Instagram called Recovery for the Revolution. And one of the beautiful things is that um, the person who, who, who runs it, they call out white supremacy alongside 
the addiction because we have to realize that these systems are complicit, not just complicit, but a lot of times it's, I don't want to, I don't want to dig too much. And so please, you let me know if this is too, you know, but what if, you know, your father would have had the opportunity to really, really get to the bottom of what the trauma was, right? Mm -hmm. Like whether it's his family, you know, his parents passing down, you know, the things that they experienced and tra were traumatized with and not realizing that they can unlearn them. So they hand them down because that's what we do. Or if it's mm -hmm. a black man uh, trying to exist in a white supremacist world, we don't talk about that enough of how that for me, I was thriving in, like I told you, I was on a marketing tour and we, the entire team did uh, Coke together. Mm -hmm. What if I decided I didn't want to do Coke that day? What, what, mm -hmm. what, what right. would they have done for my trajectory in my career? What about the fact that I even had to be around that? Right? Mm -hmm. Like we don't talk about those kind of things. And I think, I don't think, I know us not having permission to talk about them is what keeps us in the cycle of, I'm going to use something else to cope with this because I really need to talk. But no one will listen or no, or I think no one cares. So I'm going to do something to soothe myself, which may be drugs or food because mine was food for a long time. You know, I made my way back to my first, you know, and then I ended up losing 50 pounds, but I, I gained way more than, that, you know, um, when getting sober. And so, and recently I just stopped smoking weed. So mm -hmm. now like, okay, whew, all right, what am I going to do to soothe me now? And so I just took an hour long bath before this because I, I love that. It. That's beautiful. Yeah. My body well, was in knots, you know? <laughs> so I wondered, like, so you found out that you were HIV positive and then this addiction, but then when you became clean and, or I don't know if that's the right way to say it, but you stopped mm -hmm. and- I guess to me, I would imagine that's like a different reckoning of, okay, I have, I'm HIV positive. Did that like affect, like, did, mm -hmm. did you have to think about it a different way since you didn't have that, you know? Think about what, as far as like uh, being HIV positive at this point? Yeah. Like, how are you, how, how are you dealing with that part of it too? Thank you for asking that. Uh, people rarely ever ask. Um, Honestly, it's very interesting because I take um, antiretroviral medication, which is, you know, ART is what we take when you're po positive. Um, I take one pill every day. Um, and I my, vi I my viral load is undetectable. And for those who may not know what that means, if your viral load, uh, once it drops below 20, um, you're unable to detect the virus in the system uh, with the traditional HIV, what am I trying to say? Because you can still test with a traditional HIV test and you can find out the person is positive. However, you can't, yeah, the viral load is so low that it won't even register. So the And you can't pass it, right? And you cannot pass it along. That's the thing. You cannot pass it along. Um, and so marketing wise, they're calling that the new negative, right? Um, and so the thing is now, I've been with my doctor for 10 years uh, and my doctor, well, about nine years, eight or nine years, actually, I've been with my doctor. My doctor is a trans man. Um, he, so he comes from community. He understands. Uh, and God, he was one of the main reasons that I made it out of that addiction. 
uh, little things that we don't talk about is how it affects the mind. And so sometimes I would need, you know, anti-psychotic medication and he would prescribe it to me, you know, so that I wouldn't be tweaking out, you know? And so um, that's why representation matters. That's why we need inclusion from different communities uh, who can understand those experiences. Um, but yeah, so I'm virally suppressed. Um, and so honestly, it's interesting because it takes away the fear of catching it because you already have it. So like, mm. <laughs> it's a certain level of freedom I feel, you know? Um, but now I have become the mother. I'm every, I'm every queer trans baby and not even just queer and trans, but like, especially those who need it the most. I'm just their mother. Like, are you wrapping it up? Or no, no, not even just are you wrapping it up because that language is a bit outdated. Are you protecting yourself, right? Mm -hmm. And so I'm very big into harm reduction models in everything. So even in um, in drug usage, if you're going to use, um, like I believe one day I can't, that, that one day we should have clinics where people can go and they can safely use, mm -hmm. you know? I don't know when that will happen. I know they were trying to open up something like that in the Bronx. Um, Say more about why you believe, because I think that is, that's a controversial. Oh, it's, yeah. oh, that's a hot take. No, it's yeah, a hot, that's that's a hot, hot take. take. Very hot take. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is, um, you know, harm reduction models can look a lot of different ways. There should be harm reduction models built into every system, right? Where harm is possible. Um, so, Specifically, when it comes to drug usage, uh, you have a lot of people that overdose. You know, um, I overdosed quite a bit, or they call it within crystal meth, they call it overamping, where you just inject a little too much. But I, I believe certain days I was really close to death, and if I would have had someone who was a professional who could help monitor those moments, because let's treat it as you are sick or someone is sick, right? If they are sick. You might need someone to help you. And and where, okay, if you're sick, where is the sickness, right? Because it's one thing to say somebody's sick, but where is the sickness in the body? It's in the mind, right? And so that means our, our point of view, our, um, what am I trying to say? How we, our perspective may be a little skewed. And so you may need someone who can partner with you and say, okay, my perspective is a little bit more sound right now. Let me be an aid to help you through this, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so, so many people have, we've lost to overdosing, even Michael K. Williams, you know, overdose. And I mean, and look at all the beauty he brought to the world. Mm -hmm. What if we didn't have that? And what if, because another thing is too, we we treat addicts as if they are undeserving of love. Yep. It, it, you name it. It's like, care, I think we're like, society's like angry at them. Yeah, but they're, yeah, you're an outcast. You failed, ill. Like you have, you have no humanity. I can ignore you, all that stuff. It's terrible. Absolutely. Yeah. You know? And so the thing is though, what... What about, like I said, people like Michael K. Williams, like what if we would have othered him in such a way, mm -hmm. right? How much beauty would we have right. missed out on? And it's unfortunate that I have to get to look how much of how how we were able to capitalize off of him for people to feel that. You get what I'm saying? That value. Right. Like it's right. like I have to put it, you have to monetize him almost in order for people to see, oh, well, maybe he did deserve to live, mm -hmm. you know? He was or, valuable uh, or important or, yeah. You know, and I'm telling you, y'all, there were so many times that even myself, like, 
forget all the degrees and, and experience and all of that. When I was a drug addict, for some people, I was only allowed to be a drug addict. Fuck my, my, you know, fuck the fact that I was doing all of this deep work, even in the addiction. The fact that I was a member of my block association and we got third place in the greenest block in Brooklyn. <laughs> you get what I'm saying? <laughs> but like you, a lot of times we are not just addicts, right? Like we're not just this one part of us, you know, and none of us are like, we are all very complex individuals and we deserve to have the fullness of ourselves to be seen. So, yeah. Yeah. Was, I... that, was that in enough on that, um, the harm reduction, the clinics? Was did that yeah. answer? Oh, yeah. I also, I have two questions. One question, do you have any resource for, or do you know, because you already shared a few of any resources for people who may be positive and can't afford medicine? Like, can you get it for free or do you oh, know? Yeah. I don't pay for my medication, right? And so the thing is, um, that's one thing I love about living in a a city like New York, where Mm -hmm. HIV and AIDS hit so hard that they had to do something, you know? Not that they had to do something. The queer community stepped the fuck up and said, y'all ain't gonna, like, they were carrying- better do something. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so- um, So I'm very fortunate in that. Um, And if I would say for someone, if- someone is recently diagnosed with HIV, um, there is an insurance called, uh, an insurance called ADAP, uh, A-D-A-P, uh, which is, is meant to be temporary until you can get on Medicaid. Um, and so ADAP is so the person can get immediately into treatment and in which that is what you want. Because the moment you get, the moment the person finds out and they get, uh, they get into treatment, it is so easy for the for for them to become undetectable and to become very healthy. Mm-hmm. I am healthier now than I was any time before I was actually uh, HIV positive, because right. now I have a relationship with my doctor. Mm-hmm. I have a I have a team of doctors. So the second episode of Willie Gets Naked, I'm seeing all my doctors around, and, and every one of them. Um, tomorrow, I'm going to get. Um, Anal and anoscopy, some butt. They gonna look at my butt. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm sitting down, and my my therapist, all of um my um what do you call it? my nutritionist. I'm sitting them all down because we all have such a beautiful relationship, and I need people to see how they can engage with their team of health providers. Like that's what they there for. I yeah. hear people hide. They hide things, and I'm like, you know, these are the people who can help you, right? Like, yeah, you need to tell them the truth. Oh, yeah. I'm always like, I don't do anything. I, don't I still tell them I don't smoke. <laughs> Are y'all serious? Yes. <laughs> I don't I know. I don't, it's like they're like my mom or something. It makes me think I'm in, the, I don't know. No, that's yeah, I did. No, <laughs> I did a blood test where they were like counting to see how many eggs I had. Um, Because, you know, we're becoming of the age where we're thinking about next steps. And she was like, well, do you smoke? And I was like, no. I smoke. <laughs> I lied. <laughs> but I was like, God forbid I don't have any eggs. I don't want her to be like, yeah, bitch, because you smoke. But <laughs> but you know what? And I understand. Let me start there. I completely understand, right? Because we live in a very shameful society. Like, don't you do that. But yeah. like, the thing is, sometimes we cheat ourselves out of the, the actual solution. Because what if she's like, oh, you smoke? Okay, great. Well, this is what you do 
for some, this is the precaution you take if you are a smoker. You yeah, get what I'm saying? Yeah. If there's a precaution that you just don't know now because the expert, we left him out of the, the conversation. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, no, I mean, you know, it makes, it makes all the sense in the world. You're exactly right, yeah. <laughs> Do I'm I being go in the doctor logical. and lie? Yes. <laughs> yeah, makes no sense. No I sense. also have a question because you uh, identified yourself as a gay person at the start but I know from just the short moments we shared at the Soul House yes. um that you are trans yes. I was gonna say or not non-binary is that is that not the same thing are they so, different and, and and how do you how did you <laughs> go from gay to um trans yeah I wanted to ask that too just because I think some people think about non-binary or transness as in a binary sense of like from one gender to another so absolutely absolutely thank y'all for it like i i'm loving all of this space y'all are creating um and of course i did chelsea i did think about the moment we exchanged because you held space so beautifully that first time we met like oh thank you of course so beautifully it was a great question <laughs> like you held space and you received and you like it was so beautiful seriously um to answer your question so um, for majority of my life, I did identify as gay. So um, to, to give even a little more reference, I'm gonna, so I can use some terms and we can unpack them really quickly in that um, I was assigned male at birth, right? Um, which traditionally we would just call somebody a boy or a man, right? That's a boy. Oh, you had a boy. You got a penis. That's a boy. Uh, so um, there are terms too that people may hear, AMAB or AFAB. AMAB assigned male at birth, a fab assigned female at birth. Um, and then you have people who are intersex. I know someone who is intersex and it's kind of unfortunate that we all get lumped into this category <laughs> of other. It's like straight and cisgender or not, you know? And there are so many people in this, uh, in the not category like for instance, and I, I don't want to spill too much of their experience, but um, you know, as a as a gay person, I had to come out. You know, trans people typically have to come out when you're intersex and you are meaning you are born with both a um, male genitalia and a female genitalia. There is no coming out. The moment you come out, everybody knows. Everyone knows, and they put yeah. these things on you. You know, uh, which is something I had never even considered until I heard this from someone. Right. Do you know, just mm -hmm. sorry, I don't know how much you know about intersex, but I was told a long time ago, and so I don't know if it's true, that they like choose one. They do. After. Okay. They do. And so um, for this person, their family chose a gender and that gender was not, mm. it wasn't congruent mm. with who they were. And so then they chose the other gender. Right. And that, can you imagine what kind of conflict that then creates within a family dynamic and you know, um, yeah, and then how much guilt the parents are dealing with that they can't never talk about because, well, we fucked up from the beginning. Right. We're never going to talk about, you know what I mean? Um, but, you know, back to myself. Um, so my first sexual experience was with a male um, who was my best friend. And still to this day, we best fucking friends. <laughs> um, and that was around, what, 12, 13. And so... Um, Around, I would say, up until maybe about two years ago, 
I'd identified as being a gay man. Um, I want to also mention that my understanding of gender and sex were conflated. As most people, right? We think of gender and sex as the same thing. Uh, a male is a boy, is a man. A female is a girl, is a woman. Um, however, when I moved to New York, I, I joined organizations like the Audre Lorde Project, uh, which is one of the oldest queer and trans um people of color, community organizing organizations. And I started to learn that they're not the same just because, so one is a scientific designation to be female or male is scientific, uh, to be man or a woman is cultural. And that changes over time. Our, our expectations, excuse me, of what a woman is or what a man is, those evolve, evolve over time. And so after understanding myself and started to really centering Willie's experience, right? With me understanding how I felt about my body, um, starting to feel more at home in my body, but also starting to interrogate the gender aspect of who Willie is. And so as de by definition, to be transgendered means that you will no longer identify as the gender assigned at birth, mm -hmm. right? And so I'd no longer identify as being a boy or a man. Now, I did not transition to being a woman. I find that I am either all genders or none. For me, gen in a term of gender roles, I show up as both a man and a woman a lot of times. And to be honest with you, I would I would I would argue that most human beings show up where they're not 100% man or 100% woman, right? Like a lot of times there might be 70-30 split on their masculinity and feminine energy. And if we're being honest, because a friend of mine helped me understand this, that we use labels for those who don't know about the thing, right? Like in anything, if you don't know about the thing, you use labels. But when you're a part of the, the conversation, if you're in it, you don't really need the labels, right? So when I'm amongst people who see Willie and don't automatically throw me into a man category, there's no need for me to identify as being transgender, non-binary, um, uh, gender non-conform. I don't need those because they see Willie and Willie can show up in all my different ways. I can put on one of my beautiful dresses. I can also change, you know, put on some some heels and I can change a car tire and no one is forcing me into any, you know, I don't have to choose. You sit to the left or to the right. It's like no, neither one of those fit me, to be honest with you. You know, as someone who tried to skew more, okay, I was like, well, the boy, the boyness, the manhood, manhood specifically, it way too, I'm way too big for that. It's way too restrictive. And there are too many rules of manhood that I am, if I'm playing man, I'm a bad man. I'm not good at it. I'm just not, I fail at it every time. And the reality is too, personally, Willie, I'm not a woman either. I feel more comfortable in women's spaces because of the parts of me I'm allowed to allow to show up. But like, so for me, I don't use the term non-binary either because that centers the binary. Yeah, yeah. I was going to ask, I read this article in the cut, um, this essayist named Brock Coiler was saying that non-binary, like a lot of people who came to identify as non-binary did so to escape gendered expectations, but now are starting to feel stuck. And like that mm -hmm. pronoun culture has contributed to non-binary just becoming just the third gender I'm quoting. 
um, after male and female, and it feels more static and concrete than its original fluid intentions. See, you know what's interesting to look at how we are, because even in this moment, you said third gender, and then you say male, female, right? Because of the way we're socialized, and we're all- Quoting, trying- that was Brock, <laughs> but yes. <laughs> oh, okay, okay, okay. Okay, <laughs> hurt. <laughs> uh, and what I meant is like, um, we still use those terms interchangeably. Yeah, you we're know? socialized. Because we're socialized that way. And, oh, now I'm, I'm going to really take y'all on. Y'all, y'all ready for a left turn? Y'all ready to take? Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> let's go. Let's go. Okay. Okay. So my major in college is uh, mass communication. My minor is criminal justice, right? Because as an 18-year-old, I understood that as a Black male, that the system was disproportionately against me. I needed to learn the system in order to navigate it. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason why gender is such a big deal and why we need to know gender and sex and why it's on your passport and on your uh id let me see do y'all know y'all might already know before i say it i'm curious so they can identify you if you do a crime if you die exactly what prison to put you in oh shit oh which now you saw that story of um nikita nikita dragon yeah no what happened whoa what happened with nikita dragon lord tell me you know nikita dragon i did hear that she's a little wild hot mess (laughs) yeah I don't no, know. No, her, but... She's a hot mess. But what 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 happened? Uh... I believe she was arrested in Miami, mm-hmm. and so now there was all this hoopla. Again, mm-hmm. I don't know the details, but they didn't know where to put her in the male prison, or they the... put her in the male prison. Yeah, they put her in the male prison. Yeah. What? Or yeah. was that a rumor? And they... no, no, no. I saw the the I saw like a court trial or something, and Nikita was asking the judge, "Can you please take me out of this prison?" And the judge was like, "I don't." determine that next it's case yeah wow i think she's that's, out now but that's yeah. disheartening that is um and then i think that they also misgendered her all over like her intake forms and all that stuff yeah the thing is though the reason why that that is troubling to me because it once you know the process that it takes for a trans woman um to to, to step into her transition on paperwork um it's intense it is very intense. And um, I mean, you have whole organizations, the Sylvia Rivera Project, that are dedicated to this process. It is long, it is arduous, and it is traumatizing in and of itself. It's, you know, because um, you have to keep looking at your dead name. It's it's a lot. Um, but on your ID, they change the sex to female, which mm. in and of itself is a bigger discussion. But still, that means on paper, she, came she should be in, right? She should now I know when they take you in, you know, to 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 booking, then they you know strip you. But then it's like, honestly, that's a whole other thing because they when we talk about Florida, they do what they want to do. They, I'm sure they meant to harm her. Like that wasn't they meant to cause, yeah, her, you know, like that wasn't, and that's really sad. And I think, like I said, that speaks to the bigger system of like I'm a complete abolitionist, right? Burn it all down. Let's start over. Because mm-hmm. it's harmful to all of us. You know, mm-hmm. um, you know, you can't correct a system that was began as something very problematic from its inception. It will never go right, you know. And I'm talking specifically about policing, right? You will it can never go right. Um, and it's always to protect property, it's just problematic at its inception, right? Mm-hmm. But as long as we have that system in place, um unfortunately. 
Well, that system and capitalism, which tells us use anything you can to get ahead of the next person. So if it's the fact that I don't bleed once a month and the fact that you do, I hate that to sound so, but it's, it's, it comes down to, it's very cutthroat like that, right? And you use that against that person in order to get ahead. Um, until we get rid of those systems, transphobia, homophobia, um, if you if you name it, we it will still all be a part of it, or even just gender like gender wars that will all still be a part of uh, the system until we are able to get rid of the overarching system. You posted you know? something recently from a lock, and there was like a it was like a screenshot of a conversation that they were having with someone, and the question was, "What is it about non non binary people and trans people that is so threatening to systems of power?" How do you answer that question? Um, honestly, I would be honest. Alok had done such a beautiful job, and they were with uh, Jonathan Venice. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I have the answer. Oh, okay. You want me to read okay. it? Well, Alok said, "Trans and non-binary people represent choice, being able to create a way of being that's outside of what society tells us." Absolutely, absolutely. I'm gonna take that a step further, though, right? Um, as queer and trans folk, um. We have a very unique perspective, and I'll even say a job function in this society, right? We, a lot of times, we, because we've been able to walk through the world of genders, we also walk through the world of physical and non-physical. So historically, we took the spiritual path. We were the spiritual leaders, right? If you go into a lot of island of the U.S., uh, in, in, you know, ancient Africa, um, especially my spiritual practice, which is uh, Ifa through the way of voodoo. So I'm literally the voodoo queen. And the addiction was actually my initiation into it. That's a whole nother bag. <laughs> oh, we got to have you back to talk about Listen, religion. Yes. Because that's that's really what I do. This, that at What I do is working with spirit. Voodoo literally means spirit. And there's a spirit in everything. And I honor and work with it, right? But, you know, to, to kind of round this up, um, we are the ones who walk through the worlds. Uh, we can, like, I have one ear in the spirit world and one ear in the physical world at all times, you know? And so a lot of times we take on those ceremonial roles or we have historically. And even now, like, if I'm in ceremony and there's a woman that comes through, you better believe I'm that woman. If there's a man that comes through, you better believe I can be him. Like, I... I embody those spirits and those entities. You get what I'm saying? And I'm not asking, well, who are you with? You know? And I'll just mention one little thing. Um, When you go the path of Ifa, you, you have something called a head marking where you find, and and Ifa comes is the spiritual practice from the Yoruba tribe out of, out of Nigeria. Um, When you get your head marked, you find out who your guardian angel that's been with you since birth. Well, I recently, well, I got mine marked when top of this year, around March, May, May. And I found out that my head or, you know, my, my I'm crowned with Yemaya, who is the divine feminine. She is the mother. So for me as a male, I have always been a divinely feminine male. Right. And so what if as a young kid, I was able to be a divinely feminine male and exist in that without someone telling me that I was wrong and just be able to flourish in that? You know, and then help other people then find their spiritual connectivity to the spirit world as opposed to being demonized and not just having to be spiritual. Like I can get my pleasure. I can all of these. I can be a full human being and Mm -hmm. have this part of me, too. You know, 
And so that is my answer to that is yes. And it's, it's being queer and trans is that we are imbued with this connectivity because we don't have the same blockers that most other people have. Most women have it too. We know that, right? We know most women have it, especially black women, um, because you don't have the blockers, right? The, I can't do this, right? And a lot of men, they access it when they come into contact with me, Hmm. right? Like they'll, for some reason, I don't know what it is about me, but they'll drop it. But the thing is, they still want to hold on to some of that toxic shit. And I'm like, see, you can't talk to me and hold on to that. Yeah. And that's where we start getting into conflict. And that's where I'm like, let me leave your ass over there. Right, all right. Well, I'm going to go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I ain't doing that to me no more. I've done it. I've let him lay in my bed, in my home, in my heart. Uh-uh. <laughs> You're done. But I, okay, I, I don't know if this is too reductive, but I'm almost like, okay, then what is the point? Like, should we just not have gender at all? Because I'm like, even when people say things like, yeah, I'm kind of like a woman because like I love beautiful yeah. dresses or I'm kind of like a man because I can change a tire. I'm like, well, why? Is, is that what it means to be a woman? And Yeah, like I think about when I was a teacher and mm-hmm. like I had a student that a, a male student mm-hmm. that always wanted to play in the in the kitchen and he always wanted to um have me help him like make the fabric look like a dress. Yeah. And okay. And the little boys would be like, no, that's girl stuff. That's because, you know, they're little kids. That's girl stuff. That's girl yeah. stuff. And I'm like, why is it girl stuff to be in the kitchen? Yeah. You, ev- everyone should know how to make something that they like to eat. Like, you know, yeah. why is that defined as like girl stuff or boy mm-hmm. stuff? Should we just throw it out all and like. So this is what I often say to people. And I hope that this that my statement right now becomes obsolete and old and I hope when the babies hear this in 10 years from now because they're gonna hear this again right I hope they're like oh I can't believe they thought like that right (laughs) um but the short answer is yes the fearful answer is that yes we don't we, we should throw out gender altogether and but my answer typically is If you choose, if you want to be and play in the gender realm, or really let's call them a little differently, right? Because language matters. Uh, Womanhood, manhood, right? Like those are specific ideologies that we are talking about, right? I am not talking about my penis, which most people think, and that's where their minds go because they can't, you get what I'm saying? But we're talking about womanhood. If I put hood on top, on, on the end of anything, it comes with kind of like an agreed upon set of ideals that we agree on, right? Like neighborhood, right? Like it's one thing to be a neighbor, like we can be neighbors, but now we're talking about neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Those are rules that come with that, right? So to be a woman, if you choose to, that's fine. Or or be a man, if you choose to, that it's fine. Like if you want to be told where to sit, by all means. Me, I don't want, like it, it doesn't fit me. It never fits, right? And so I'm more interested in one, one of my one of my friends who is a male and he identifies as a man, but his language, a lot of times he, he when he's talking about where he was raised, he'll say, this is where I learned personhood. And that resonates so loud to me because when I am engaging with children, because children love me because I, I'm, I'm a little kid playing, right? Like I'm like, I, I, as an entertainer, I'm on stage playing make believe with all with my room full of friends. You know what I mean? Like. You know, and people resonate because everybody want to do that. It's fun, you know. Um, 
And so I am, I don't gender them. I don't need to. You get what I'm saying? And like, where do you want to go? What do you want to play with? Well, let's go play with that. What do you, you like that one? That's a pretty color. Let's play with that one. You get what I'm saying? It's us who begin to, um, even in our tones, we we tell people how to feel about it. Oh, you like that? Oh, okay. Well, you know she's a little, oh, you know he a little. You know, and so I don't think it's reductive at all. I think eventually we will move to a point where gender does become obsolete because honestly, I find that most people want to gender you so that they can hurry up and put you in a box so that they can move on with a conversation, right? Or they can monetize you or they can like, how do I, how do I codify you? So that way I can start, you know, being a value to you. Oh yeah. What do I do with you? Right. As opposed to, wait a minute, let me slow down and let me meet Glenn. Mm -hmm. Let me just meet you. And also in, even if we, you know, just throw in the, you know, pronouns and things like that. Most times people want to hear their name as opposed to a pronoun. No, I know. Even when you said my name just now, I was like, oh, <laughs> but it just, yeah. It, yeah, it's you, it's right? You, that's who you really are. It's not right? just a she or a her, because I can say that and make it sound like shit, to be honest with you. <laughs> I can make yeah. that sound offensive. You get what I'm saying? It's like, if we slow down as a society, I'm really moving into us just slowing down, like even in fashion, like slow fashion, slow it down. Mm-hmm. We don't need three collections a year. Give me one every five. like let's let's start to really meet each other you know and i think if we did that honestly eventually gender which also is a baby of white supremacy (laughs) will become obsolete and so yeah once you begin to interrogate white supremacy eventually you won't see the use for gender and i just mean gender right just gender you won't see the use for that so much i believe yeah, because I, when you just said white supremacy, that made me think of like just being a black woman too. Like, we don't get like the same softness as like a, as like white mm-hmm. women. Like, and even if you think about historically, you know, obviously I wasn't there, but black women were working; they weren't in the house. You know, you know, do you know what I mean? So, like, our womanhood is also different. Um, I also am curious because I know you live in New York now, but you're from Houston Mm -hmm. and I have a bunch of people from Houston that I love and care about, but I will say all of them are homophobic Mm -hmm. and, and I, and, and I'm like, what is wrong with you guys? You guys say the craziest things. No, no, no. (laughs) And like always trying to correct them. But Mm -hmm. that is, I'm like, is that a, I'm not from Texas. I'm from New York. So I'm like, how was that? Or am I just around the wrong Houston people? Oh, so I had a very unique experience. My my dad's sisters were both butch lesbians. And so I grew up with um, a protective shield of Black women, <laughs> butch Black women mm-hmm. who, who shielded me and protected not just me, but me and my friends. So even in high school, we were lit, right? Like we step team, marching band, and I'm talking about Black marching band right up the street from TSU. Oh yeah, from you get Uh what I'm saying, and we were all very popular. We we go we'd step on the weekend and then or we step during the week at at tournaments and then we go to the gay club on weekends. And some of our straight friends went with us. Oh, it was lit for real. I'm literally in Will of Fortune in my scripted series. I have I'm like I need to show the world this experience because we were lit and still are lit as fuck. (laughs) (laughs) That's um, a blessing. But I, I want to say this, though, and, and another hot take. 
and I got this from Samantha Masters. Um, they're they're activists out of DC, super dope. Um, and it, this was years ago they mentioned this, and it just re- resonated so loudly. Is that unfortunately the world we live in, we are socialized to punish the feminine, right? And so, especially as males, we are we are socialized to punish anything that is feminine, especially if it is not in the form of a woman, right? Or female, right? And so the thing is, even when you unpack it, most men don't really like women like that. Like they Agreed. like vagina. They don't really like women. You know what I mean? Like I love women. I love being around. Let's do all the things. Let's do the makeup. Let's do the hair. Let's let's lay in the bed. Like let's let's cuddle. Like all I love women. I love womanhood. You know. But like most of them, they love men. They are craving manhood. You know what I mean? Like uh, masculinity. You know. But they know that if they cross a certain line, eh, you gonna you know what I mean? That's trouble. And so, um, and so especially when you are when someone chooses to be feminine. Because I can guarantee you those same people that you think are, are consider homophobic, if they encounter a butch woman, they might other her a little more than you, but not as much as a gay man mm-hmm. or a trans man or, or trans woman. You get what I'm saying? Like, it's like, why would you choose to give up masculinity when we are the ones who are chosen to be the leaders? And so most of my girlfriends, when I find out that that man is even just a little bit homophobic, I'm like, girl, get the hell out of there. Because you next. Mm. You next on the chopping block. Like, you get what I'm saying? Like, it, it's just a little while before that shit trickle over to you and then you find out how much he really hates femininity. Mm-hmm. You get what I'm saying? Like, No, I hear you. It makes, that makes a lot of sense. Transphobic, get the hell out of there. And that's a hot take. <laughs> get out of there. Because yeah. you next. Makes a lot of sense to me. I just think people are, it's kind of like, it. I don't want to compare it to racism, but it's like, people are taught these things like and it's just like so ingrained and it's like when you correct them they're like oh you're being too sensitive oh it's not that big of a deal and it's like well no like try to learn expand your brain like I know you didn't grow up this way but like I don't know no you're 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 absolutely right and as someone who was social to be specific to I have three older sisters I am the only male heir of my dad's, right? And so I was socialized <laughs> to think like, well, um, my dad would tell me all the time, I prayed for you. I prayed for a boy. And I'm like, well, this is what you got. <laughs> but like, and little things of like, and my sister, and and I, and the thing is too, I have to call myself out because I always tell people the revolution starts inside. Like I, I I don't engage in a lot of conversations like this with men or um or people who I can find who hold up the systems because they don't the, the because the systems benefit them. So they're not gonna just willingly let it go unless they can interrogate themselves and how they play into it, right? And so for me, when my dad would say, or when my sister had to, you know, wash the dishes and clean up the, you know, the bathroom and, and I just had to take out the trash because that was a boy's job. You think I was like, oh yeah, no, that's wrong. I was like, well, shit. Okay. Now I get to go sit back down and watch TV or whatever. <laughs> right. <laughs> as I got older and then, you know, for good reason, my sister had some resentment towards me for that. You know and I'm not saying? She holds a lot, but for that specifically, 
I understand. I'm like, oh, I get it. And that was mm-hmm. fucked up. And I was complicit in it. And most yeah. men are. Most males are. But, but because they never interrogate themselves, mm-hmm. right? Because I interrogated myself, I could sit with the harm that I had caused and participated in, even in white supremacy. Black people who I'd call ghetto, right? Mm. Like that's participating in it. Mm -hmm. I'm upholding white supremacy just as much, if not more sometimes than white people. So let me check that, you know? You know, and so I'm just going to throw this out there. If, If I can encourage any and everybody to do one thing, it is to sit with and interrogate the deepest, darkest parts of themselves. The parts that you like are would be embarrassed for people to know about you to sit with that shit and to say it to yourself. If you never say it out loud to another soul, say it to yourself and then you start to re because the moment you say it to yourself, you're gonna autom- your brain is gonna automatically start to, to 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 unpack it and to to move towards kind of rectifying it, right? That's just because none of us intend to cause harm. But we are programmed to do it, right? You know? Yeah. I you so, know what? Like, yeah. Oh, sorry, please continue. No, 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 that's it. That was I, yeah. I, I was just gonna say I think that's just such a beautiful full circle place to to wrap on. It really yeah. brings me back to the beginning of our conversation and that work that you even had to do with yourself through your addiction. Um, it's it can be super scary to face all the all the stuff that's within. You talked about the dredges, the stuff that's deep down, the gook. Yeah. Yeah, it's so easy to just like push it, push it yeah. away. I want to be clear. It is certainly scary. Mm-hmm. Ain't no could be. That is the hell that they talk about. Mm-hmm. See, the difference is most people out there, they scared of hell. I've been there. <laughs> I've been there and I sat in Satan's seat. Like you get what I'm saying? Like I, I became the devil. Mm-hmm. So now I'm not afraid of any of that. You get what I'm saying? Like, and I know it's that's gonna scare some folk away. And hopefully it's <laughs> they'll be like this voodoo, this voodoo person. <laughs> hopefully it scares them into their selves and start to fucking look at themselves. Yes, get scared, get frightened. <laughs> Don't do work. You get what I'm saying? Like, but that's the the real hell that exists. It ain't if it exists when we die, it exists, right? I don't believe it does. But I know for certain that there's a hell that exists on earth and there's a heaven on earth. And I'm only in heaven now. So you get what I'm saying? But interrogate yourselves. That's it. That's it. Well, wow. thank you so much. This has thank been so, so incredible. Like, oh my God. So thankful thank for the time. Everything. Thank you for letting me in y'all chat come room. Back. Like, it's fun. Of course. And come back. You're welcome I, I back anytime. See the show. Yes. Mm-hmm. I got some stuff I'm going to send y'all. I got a documentary that we won awards for, and I got the the, the trailer. I'm going to send y'all that. Please yeah. send it. And, and yeah. for our listeners, tell them where they can find you. So y'all can find me um, on the socials. I was going to say something clever, but that might have scared you some more. <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't mean to scare you out of there. Uh, no, but uh, y'all can find me at Willie the Genius, and that's W-I-L-L-I-E-T-H-E Genius on Instagram, on Twitter before it goes to hell. Ooh, oh. hell. Hell. Hell on earth. There it is. Twitter is literally hell, okay? <laughs> and Elon is Satan. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, uh, Willie the Genius on everything, uh, even on, on, on YouTube. Um, yeah, and go check out. Yeah, I got some singles out there. I got List of Demands where me and some queer and trans folk were twerking on in Fulton and hollering for our rights. It, and it's 
Y'all should go check it out. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Thank y'all for having me. Seriously, thank you. Thank, thank you. you for coming. And please come back. I will. What would you do? Okay, guys, I hate to be this person, but I think the what would you do is so Patreon worthy. And so we should just jump into the Patreon. And if you want to hear it, like run them coins, ask for for Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, Christmas, kind of Kwanzaa. Yeah. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Let's get into it. Oh, okay. So get on the Patreon. It's so much fun. Um, Follow us on Instagram. Follow us on TikTok. Follow us on all the things where Black Girls Texting, where Black Girls Text one on Twitter. Um, I've been tweeting, even though there's nothing but pornography on that website. Um, but yeah, follow us and we appreciate you. I think we still have some more sweatshirts. So if you're feeling chilly and you want a little sweatshirt, buy one. Shadi's wearing it if you're looking at us on YouTube. Okay, love you. Bye. Thanks again for listening to Black Girls Texting. Make sure to rate and review this podcast wherever you listen and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Oh, and don't forget to text every group chat you're in and tell them to check us out. Follow your girls at Black Girls Texting and we'll see you next week. Bye.